I'm Alex Trepchinski. I'm Angie Check. I'm Barbara Stewart. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I'm Marin Green. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Valerie Jacobson. And this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 36 of the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. I have a very special friend, somebody else that I met through the Czech family, uh, Barbara Mole Stewart. She's married to a very, very talented musician and filmmaker, Ben Joseph Stewart. He's got films all over Guy and everything else, but Barbara is special in her own right. She's given birth to three kiddos, including a set of twins. Um, the first was a home birth in Holland. And the the twins came through a very uh, much different hospital experience here in the States. And when I went, Barbara, it occurred to me that she and I both shared a dream, which was to change the world by changing the way that we welcome babies into the world. And this is this notion is not is not new. It's something that is, seems to be reverberating through our society. That if we can't figure out how to respectfully hold space for the unfolding of the sacred process that is birth, then how can we expect to get anything else right? You know, it's something as simple as, hey, let's let women birth on their own terms without forcing them to completely abandon the safety of modern medicine. Why not just hold space for them and have our tools ready in the one in a million, you know, chance that something really, really needs to be to be done? And um, of course, one in a million is not is not like the responsible C-section rate. So, it, so don't get caught up in the semantics here. The point being that the vast majority of women who give birth could do so without any intervention from the medical establishment. But that's not what we're seeing. You know, 99% of births in the United States are very medicalized. Very, very few babies are coming at home. And if they are in the hospital, it's hard to keep the process sacred because we have protocols. We have JCO. We have all these hospital policies that require doctors and nurses alike to be interrupting and distracting from this unfolding process before, during, and after the baby, right? And to summarize that, I mean, think about the last time that you were, if, if you've been to a birth in the hospital, what do we do as soon as the baby comes out? You, you take the baby away, you put the baby in the warmer, you do all this checks, you give the baby shots, you put goo in their eyes, you clean them up, you wrap them up in a little burrito, like to make the process seem as sterile as, as possible. We do the same for the mom, and then we put the baby on the mom and we, we say, job well done. Well, that golden hour, that's where magic happens if you're paying attention. And so in this, in this interview, we really do talk about the nature of birth. We talk about the nature of women's healthcare. And we talk about some of our visions for how to, to improve upon this, which, you know, to spoiler, I think that if we could model this in a birth retreat space, nestled within the woods, adjacent to a biodynamic regenerative farm where we can get the healthiest animal and implant products. We designed the building from the foundation using biophilic architectural design, biogeometry. We structure the water. We pay a lot of attention to EMF mitigation or harmonization using biogeometry. Everything down to the layouts of the land, to the arrangement of the buildings, hold workshops there, hold healing, hold a space for healing to unfold. What would that look like? I know it sounds utopian, but right now we're in a strange time in the world. And if we could model this and improve on how we hold space for birth, could we usher in a new way that we care for one another as a society? So without further ado, 
I hope you enjoy my conversation with Barbara Mole Stewart. So, you and I, right before we started recording, we were talking about liability. And what we're really, really getting into, into nitty gritty details, is how can we reimagine maternity care in the United States? And it all comes down to the environment that a baby comes into. You had a great birth in Holland. I had a great birth at home. And we also had a great birth in the hospital. Our, our Dr. Net, our uh, Dr. Reed Net in Louisville, she was amazing. But it takes a lot of effort on the part of the birthing woman and her partner in order to get the experience that you are hoping to have. And a lot of that pushback comes against interventions that are only being done, things that are being said, behaviors of the clinical staff, um, starting IVs, that type of thing. And all of the touching, all of that stuff comes from a place of fear that if something were to, quote, go wrong, that the hospital is going to be held accountable and you're going to sue their pants off, right? So when when we come to the table to help care for another person and we're coming to it with language that reflects fear, all kinds of bad things happen, right? And I'm not saying that you necessi- that necessarily we have bad outcomes like a dead baby, a dead mom. I mean, those are horrific things. I will also say that sometimes those things happen. And if if we try to use our mechanisms of control to prevent every single bad outcome from happening, whether it's to protect your ass in, in court or it's to try to assure safe passage of mom and baby, inevitably you start tampering with things that are merely meant to protect your butt because you don't want the bad outcome to come back and you know reflect poorly on your license, on your your partners in your practice or on the hospital itself. So before we get into our intentional community conversation, tell me a little bit more about what you think uh, from the standpoint of liability and how, how did this play into your births? I mean, I felt like a lot of the things they were doing that I found uncomfortable and didn't want were 100% because of liability, the fear mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. liability. Like they're afraid something's going to, going to go wrong with the twins or with me. So they, they have all these interferences that they rely on. And to me, that goes against everything because I trust myself and I trust my body. I know that I can do this. I'm 100% comfortable with it. And I'm happy for the medical system or the Western medicine system that when there's an absolute emergency, we have Mm. the ways, right. To save a life or get in there and just get it done so that, yeah, nobody dies or whatever it is. But other than that, it made me angry. It made me actually, I think that was part of the the fight mode that I felt in me was like, I don't care about your liability. I feel like suing you because you're not doing your job that I'm hiring you to do. Mm. Like the whole Pitocin thing, I considered taking that somewhere because I was so angry about it because I never consented to it. And I had a birth plan in my in my hands that I handed out to them. And it said I didn't want any interference, not medical, not anything. So I was ready to sue them for actually doing the things that they were doing because of liability. Yeah. Because it wasn't what I hired them for. And it just, it made, I didn't do it in the end because I didn't feel like that was the higher road or whatever. And I, I felt like they already had a, a great educational experience <laughs> watching yeah. my birth and experiencing it. So I felt like it was meant to be, you know, it was meant to be there and they were meant to see that and they were, they needed that experience, but it made me very angry that liability was a disturbing factor in my sacred birthing experience. 
Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've been serving as expert witness on a couple cases. Um, and these cases are actually becoming more, they're, they're becoming, they're, they're, they're coming to light more frequently now because people are realizing that didn't feel right. Something that happened, somebody put their hand in my vagina without asking permission. And the nurse and, and, and my partner were holding my legs back against my will so that the, the doctor could go in and quote, assess, assess things. It sounds like rape. And that's mm. actually, this is, this is what's now being termed obstetric violence, but it actually goes far beyond just what am I allowed to do as a doctor and not allowed? It's, that's not the question. The question is how long does it take you to introduce yourself and to talk to a woman about, Hey, you hired me to help you. Here's, here's the information I can give you. What decision you want, do, do you want to make? And when they make that decision, your job is then to support them in that decision. If you don't feel comfortable with that decision, number one, that's on you. Number two, then go find somebody who is, because it's not your job, you know, back to the car mechanics scenario. You can't go and give a new paint job because you like green and the car was red. Like, Hey, it looks better though. That way you might say, yeah, I guess you're right. But like, I didn't ask you to paint my car. And just because I drove my car into the shop doesn't give you implied consent to do whatever the hell you want. And so increasingly women are actually reflecting on how did that experience feel? And I have, I've, I had resident uh, attendings when I was in residency. Those are our supervising doctors. I ha- used to have them say horrible things. And this really, really was, it hurt me because I knew that we were going to go through birth ourselves and I was an OBGYN, you know? So um, they would say things like, you know, these women come in with birth plans as if they're, they're the pilots of the, of the, of the aircraft. You know, you don't walk onto an airplane and tell the pilot how to fly the plane. That is not a useful metaphor. That has nothing to do with the birth experience. Number one, you don't have any control over labor, no, no matter what you learned in residency. But number two, when you try to impose these mechanisms of control, even if you do get a good outcome, which in our definition is healthy mom, healthy baby, you're, traumatizing people. And that trauma is collecting in our society. So it's so much so that people are pushing back now. They're revolting against hospital-based birth because they're afraid of what might happen to them, not to them and their baby and birth, but what's going to be happening to them and their medical freedom by just walking into a hospital. And this is really, really important, guys. This is inc- This is extremely important. So if we were to reimagine birth, Barbara, how would you if, like, like, let's just be a little bit utopic here. How do you see birth best being done, regardless of national boundaries, regardless of hospital, home, whatever? What is the ideal scenario for a birthing woman to have a baby? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know what you just said. Just quickly to tune into that, and that sounds like this massive ego, right, and arrogance of the care providers, because they went to school, they have this really expensive education and they think they know everything, but they actually don't know anything about natural birth. They just know how to interfere and do their job and everything that they've learned. And then here comes this massive ego and arrogance that tries to dictate the woman who is the pilot because it's her body. It's her baby. The only person who actually truly knows what this baby and this body need is that woman. So that's just this that's right. massive arrogance that you see actually a lot in the medical world. My father was a pharmacist, so I grew up around doctors and <laughs> biggest egos, all of them, and very unhealthy, very unhappy, most of them. So, you know, it just shows for me that was very telling. Anyway, to go back can I, to- Can I chime in real quickly? Yeah. I think that the unhappiness is actually, it's a byproduct of cognitive dissonance, right? They know that it's not right to do this. 
but the culture of hospital-based maternity care tell, dictates that that's how it's supposed to be done. And even though they don't feel good about it, they still do it. And after years and years and years of doing it that way, it actually starts to hurt them. Like they're not following their own intuition. They're not letting their heart guide them. They're just so stuck up here, not only in the ego, but in the brain as to how can I control this natural thing? And, and I think that that's actually harmful to our healthcare professionals as well. So there's good reason for everybody to reconsider and reimagine how birth could be ideally done. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and, you know, and for these people I grew up around, I think a lot of it was also the money, the money and the, the sense of power was the incentive to just prescribe all this stuff, you know, they knew wasn't going to do any good anyway. So to get back to the ideal kind of birth scenario, well, the way my home birth was ideal. So I kind of can relate to that energy and the things that were really important to me was first of all, I wanted everybody there to approach it like we were all going into a ceremony together and I was the you know I was the kind of the person that it was all about right it has to be about the mother it has to be about her comfort it has to be about her safety all those things because when the mother doesn't feel comfortable or safe the body goes into a fight or flight mode and it halts the process of birth. So yeah. it slows it down. It causes all these complications that we see in birth. And it's, I mean, you'd be better to really confirm this, but I think probably 90% of the time, that's why there's complications in birth because the confirmed. mother doesn't feel safe. <laughs> I just yeah. confirmed it. <laughs> the mother doesn't feel safe. So it's unnatural to give birth in a moment that doesn't feel safe in nature. That's when animals run and it stops, yeah. you know? So yeah it's all about creating an environment that the woman feels safe in. And I would say probably for most birth, most women that would be being surrounded by a very few hand selected amount of people like your partner, maybe your mother or a friend or whatever. A doula felt really good to have because my doula was a body worker and she could really, you know, help me with my body and just the comfort of it and the, the pressure that I was feeling. Mm. And then of course, having someone there who knows what they're doing. So a midwife who has delivered many babies felt amazing to me. That made me feel very safe. Mm. And I had full faith that everything was going to be a go. So I didn't really feel the need to be close to a hospital or near proximity, but I could imagine that also maybe helping women in feeling mm. safe. So having mm -hmm. these wonderful spaces that are very, how would I say it? Just comfortable and beautiful and peaceful with candlelight and soft music that they like and flowers or maybe a window or a door that can open. So you have that connection with the breeze and the outdoors and the birds mm, or whatever is going cool. on outside. That was, that was really nice for me at home. We had the door open and I could hear the birds and it was just, the breeze would come in and it was just, yeah, it really felt like a medicine moment where you're just so in the moment and every little thing matters because you're so sensitive to it and it's so magical and there's so much happening that your senses pick up on all these little things. And it made me feel very safe and, and held and nurtured. So those would be elements having, having a bath there, you know, available is really nice. I mean, giving birth in the water was, was wonderful. It was so nice to be able to move my body around and take away a little bit of that weight right of the heavy body and just being able to, to play around with that. And yeah, I think really the main thing would be everybody treats it like a ceremony and everybody's there with humility 
and in service of the woman and the baby and really navigating what does she need right now? You know, how can we support her? How can we make her feel safe and comfortable? And having that kind of energy there is really, really important, I think. All right, so you've got your health dialed in. You're moving well, you're eating well, you're drinking clean water, you're breathing fully, expanding those lungs, you're sleeping eight to nine hours a day. You've got your mindset dialed in. But is there something you're forgetting? I think you're probably not paying enough attention to the influences of EMF and the low-dose radiation coming from your earbuds, from your cell phones. They've got these powerful modems in there. And we've got them in our pockets. We've got them in our ear holes all day long. Fortunately, waveblock.com has solved this seventh big principle for maintaining an optimally healthy lifestyle. If you go to waveblock.com, you'll find stickers that go on the earbuds, stickers that go on the backs of cell phones. They block more EMF than anything on the market. And they go really, really well with technologies like those that you would find at Biogeometry, Dorian and Ibrahim Karim's company, or Conscious Technologies LLC, Ross Newkirk's company. Those EMF harmonizing devices go hand in hand with these EMF blocking devices. And so even if you're wearing a pendant, why not get some additional protection from this low-dose radiation? Just go to waveblock.com, enter code BELOVED, B-E-L-O-V-E-D, into the discount code box, and you'll save a whopping 25% on your purchase. Um, again, that's waveblock.com. Please help support our sponsors. We're so appreciative that they are helping us extend our mission into the world in order to make women and their partners and families as healthy as possible. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Miss Barbara Stewart. I, I don't know where it took me to, but the idea of clean, like flowers in the air, birds chirping, like this air moving through the space, it just, I, I don't know where it took me, but I mean, contrasting that with the sterile hospital environment where there's often not even windows and there's all these beeping noises like coming from everywhere, from other rooms, from the nurse's station, and there's this constant door swinging open and slamming and people coming in and poking and prodding and it just and seems so dis- yeah, and the bright lights mm-hmm. and like all these monitors all over it. It sounds so dystopic compared to what you just described. Like I want to give birth in the environment that you just described. Of course, I will never have the pleasure uh, of having a baby, but the um, but gosh, I mean, those are two very, very, very different scenarios. And I think most people who who would be giving birth would hear those two examples. And naturally, most people are going to say, well, of course, the first option, the being in a comfortable space where I feel safe and held and witnessed and and that I'm in control and and that I I am, am the one calling the shots and that there's birds outside and there's the smell of flowers and there's trees, you know, changing color right outside the window. Like, like what, a, what an allegory for the creative, the co-creative process that is giving birth. I mean, nature teaches us everything that we need to know. Um, and combined with nature, we have everything inside. And when you get those two things together, to me, it's not even just about fixing birth. It's actually about fixing our entire society, our community and connection with one another. And you and I have talked at length about this already, even in our short friendship. I, I tend to believe that if we want the world to change for the better, we need to start by considering 
the very, very fundamental, the most primordial, um, dare I say, you know, primitive kind of human thing that we do, which is giving birth. The only other thing, the only other experience we might have is dying. Like this is a completely natural, contracted part of being human. When you're born, you are going to die someday. And for many women, when you're born, you're going to give birth someday. Yet we, we, we fail to see it as a natural rite of passage as opposed to a, a pathology awaiting some heroic medical procedure. And so I'm curious, what do you think about, you know, let's talk briefly just about what's going on in the world. Like, like what is your kind of overall machination? Like, like what, what is happening right now and how does this experience with birth, how does it actually fold into that for you? If it does, if it does at all. Well, I guess one thing I would like to state again about birth that I haven't said yet is I feel like birth is a woman's right to having this incredibly empowering experience. And actually the way birth needs to change, it needs to also start with the care that we get beforehand because there's so much fear mongering when you go to the OBGYN and they talk about everything that can go wrong and all the options they would like to think of or be prepared for. It's all about the most terrible stuff that can happen to you. And when you keep getting that information fed when you're pregnant and so vulnerable and like so protective and it's all new and there's this sacred, most important thing, you know, that's in your belly, you're trying to do everything right. And then you get fed all this information about everything that can go wrong. And basically you're being told that you're probably not going to be able to do this on your own. That's like the worst way to prepare someone for such an important moment and such a possibly very powerful experience, right? So when we want to change birth, I would say we have to change with the way we talk to women and support them during their pregnancy mm. and really work on eliminating all the fears and really getting them to a state of like self-confidence and trust and knowing I can do this. And that might take some trauma work. You know, there's a lot yeah. of trauma that comes up around your own birth or hearing other people's birth stories might interfere with your own sense of confidence and trust in yourself. So anyway, start there. And then birth, when you give birth naturally and you have this beautiful experience, I mean, to me, that felt like I went from being a girl to being this almighty woman. I felt so strong and I mm. felt so amazing. And I was so grateful that I got to do it that way. And my hospital birth was still beautiful, but it felt a lot less like that, even though I did such a great job in a sense. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's another thing I just wanted to bring into that and really allowing this space for this extremely empowering ceremonial experience for women. Mm -hmm. oh, everything you just said is amazing. I feel I, feel, I need like a, a, an, a, like a noisemaker to like, ah, applause. <laughs> We just have to give you the handshake. That's so funny. <laughs> Snaps Cheers. or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on right now in the world? I mean, there's so much that's going on right now in the world. And it's, for me, it's been a journey of going in and out of like also fear, right? There's, there's definitely been some fear. Being a mother of young children and witnessing all this stuff that's going on in the world, it's like, 
where is this going? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen? What am I going to have to do to protect my family and to, to keep myself just safe and in a container of like, okay, I just, I just want to be left alone. I just want to grow my food and I just want to live in this space. That's all I want to do. And recently it's felt like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there'll be a threat or maybe there'll be a moment where I'm going to have to defend that or mm. my family or something. Mm. So it's definitely been a very interesting, challenging time. And obviously I keep going back to, it is perfect the way it is. This is a mass awakening that's mm. going on right now. And I mm. feel like a lot of people are actually stepping into their power and having this more empowering experience of like, no, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go along with that. And I'm going to feel into myself what's going on. And how do I feel about that? And a lot of people are not okay with it. I mean, pretty much everyone to whatever extent, whatever they believe or whatever story they want to, you know, go into is not okay with it in a way. Right. It's like, right. this is, this is not cool. Everything is being infringed upon our freedoms our thought process or relationships, everything is just changing and evolving. And yeah, there, there are moments where that feels like a really good thing. And then there are moments where it feels like, I don't know. Yeah. Is this really yeah. a good thing? I hope so. And, and it's, and, and you use the word fear again, right? Like the way that we treat birth is problematic because the people that are doing it, it with good intention, perhaps they're doing it out of a place of fear, whether it means being sued or losing a baby or losing a mom and having that on their conscience or whatever it is that they, whatever it is that they're imagining. When we start to treat our friends, family, and neighbors and our patients, from my standpoint, from a place of fear, we're inevitably heading down a path. We're careening down a cliff that is leading to more division and it's leading to it's it's leading to more despair as as a society. So I think that I think that in approaching fixing our society, we need to get past fear. And and you mentioned all the ceremonies that you've gone through with medicine with with plant medicines, mushrooms, etc. That's one of those experiences, right? Like when you take ayahuasca or something like that, there's a point where it's in you now. You can't undo it. You can't take the ayahuasca out of you. And now there's a, there's, there's a period there, there's a moment where you're forced to surrender to the experience or you can fight it tooth and nail because you're afraid. And that's what leads to these very, very traumatic ayahuasca journeys versus, hey, an experienced person with medicines, you know that there's a place, you have to get to a place of surrender and only then does the veil start to dissolve and you're like, Phew. It's okay. And I, I, I know when I make that sound, I'm not talking about I'm high. It's, it's an exercise in surrendering to spirit and surrendering to that which is. And birth is no different. Birth is absolutely the same process. And if we can't acknowledge that there's going to be certain aspects of the human experience that we can't control, then we are, we're just going to keep going in this direction of trying to impose more and more control over things that we know we can't control. But it's the only tools we think we have. Whereas actually holding space for the unfolding of what is to come is actually a great tool that too few people I think are relying on in this, in our society as a whole. Yeah, for sure. I can say yes and amen to all of that. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really, this feels like a massive ceremony, right? There's a lot of like it is. unknown and yeah, it is. And 
there's a lot of waking up and healing happening that, I mean, we couldn't really have achieved any other way. Mm. It had to be this experience too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to call in all this stuff that is happening in so many of us. And I mean, I'm grateful for that. I've never felt so connected to mm. Mm-hmm. my tribe. And I, you know, I feel like meeting you and, and a lot of other people We're in Austin right now and we're meeting all these amazing people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's even more meaningful because of the world that we live in right now. And when you get along and when you share the same ideas right now, it just feels very different than it did before 2020. It's like, yeah, yeah. oh, wow. There's like an anchor of like, Wah, okay, this is tribe. This is real tribe. It, before this whole thing, it kind of felt like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic as it's sinking. <laughs> Whereas now it's like, oh my God, there's actually a life raft. Oh shoot. Yeah. There's all these other people that also see that there's a bunch of life rafts. Oh my gosh, guys, we don't have to sink. We have the opportunity to emerge. And I want to bring up real quickly uh, this great essay by a mutual friend of ours, Charles Eisenstein. He wrote an essay called Time to Push, where he actually is relating back to Stan Groth, who's this prolific psychiatrist. I think he's a psychiatrist. Uh, and Stan was well known for the use of LSD at end of life way back before the demonization of psychedelics. But the other area that he really wrote quite a bit about was the perinatal matrices. And they are the amniotic universe, the, the babies inside the womb, and is completely cozy and confident about just being a baby in the womb, right? But then there's this cosmic uh, oppression phase that comes next. And it's this, I feel like something's not right but I don't know what to do about it. It's just this pressure from every direction, like a, like a chamber that has no relief valve until the pelvis starts to open, the uterus starts to contract in, in the direction of the cervix. And as the cervix opens and the pelvis opens, the baby gets into the right position and starts to go towards the light emerging. That's the struggle of death and rebirth. I mean, this is very deeply profound stuff. And then after that, after the pushing phase you then get the experience of death and rebirth, right? So there's this, I feel like before 2020, we were in that that oppression phase from every direction. It was like, ah, something has to change, but nobody knows what to do about it. And pow, now we're kind of seeing that there's a light and we're all, those of us who I think are, like you said, we're all in this tribe now are like, we're going to give up that old story. We're going to go towards this new story. And that new story, in that new story, our greatest currency is love, compassion, and connection. And so so to go back to Charles Eisenstein's essay, the way the way he formulated his essay was around the perinatal matrices. And he, he would say very deliberately that this struggle with birth, death, rebirth is happening right now. And we are all emerging, potentially, if we can remain conscious in our actions and our words we can emerge together into a new space. It's not all for nothing. Finally, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that is a beautiful metaphor for what we're going through right now. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, talking about community, right? We've talked about community and the desire to create these conscious communities where birth, life, and death are just done in this this yeah. sacred, connected to nature kind of way. And that has always been really important to me. And I mm. always have wanted it. And I've always known like, okay, that is how I want to live with my children. And that's how I want to live my life because I want to thrive. Come 2020, you know, I think it was literally like three or four weeks into, I say scamdemic because I can't say 
pandemic because I don't believe there is one. Um, You're in good company so like, here. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just can't get it out of my mouth. You know, the word pandemic. I'm like, no, it's not there. So the p, the, the p word. <laughs> yes, the p word. Yeah, that's a good one. So three to four weeks into this, I called our friend in California and I was like, listen, we've been talking about this community thing. I think now is the time. This is like more evident than ever before that, that now is the time. This needs to happen. And of course, it's still been a long process. Something like that is not just going to happen. There's so much involved. There's so many people to kind of get together. And there's so many ideologies and different ideas to go off on. And then there's, of course, the, the funding and all that stuff. But at least this thing is so much more alive in not just me, but pretty much everyone in our tribe, mm -hmm. right? Everyone is like community, community. And it's always been the answer to pretty much everything because disconnection to nature. Well, if you live in a community in nature with all your loved ones, because that's what they'll become, they'll all be family. Mm. You're so connected to nature and you're so nurtured and you're so nourished and you're so held and you're so supportive and you have room to, I mean, healing is going to be a mm -hmm. natural response, right? Mm -hmm. Because relationships is very healing. Yeah. And when you are in a community together and you have this authentic way of communicating and relating, then healing is inevitable. Mm. And then thriving is inevitable. It's mm -hmm. a natural response to living in a place like that and living a life like that. So another beautiful thing about this time right now is that I see community summits pop up left and right. Yeah. I organized one, you yeah. know, you couldn't be there, unfortunately, but I know I missed out <laughs> as I was doing that. I, there was all these other ones that I learned about and I was like, oh, this is so alive right now. This conversation is just more than ever. People are realizing, yeah, we need communities. A lot of people wonder how I've managed to stay in shape over so many years of school, hard work, long hours, being in the hospital with all the crappy food and the crappy water and this and that. And the answer is that I've had to be very, very, very careful with what I put into my body. So when I was down in um, San Diego for fellowship, I met Paul Check and got to be a part of his family and introduced me to, to Organifi. And what I was really impressed about with this company is that, this, you know, if you go into GNC and you look at the labels of all their proteins and all their supplements, there's always processed junk in there. It's really just like, how can we put out the cheapest product and charge the most money for it? Uh, you know, put a fancy label on it, use all this fancy scientific language and just sell as much product as possible. Well, I get a very, very different vibe from Organifi. In fact, my favorite products from Organifi is called their Complete Protein. Along with there being a ton of protein, it's 20 grams of protein per serving. You're getting seven superfoods. It's loaded with vitamins, flavonoids, medium chain triglycerides. And what's extra special is they add digestive enzymes into the shake itself so that your microbiome is able to process it and deliver it into the blood to get all of that nutrition to your hardworking muscles and other tissues. So Organifi is one of the only products out there, one of the only product lines out there that's fully organic, it's non-GMO, it's soy-free, it's dairy-free, and it's made with love. And that's what matters most, right? There's so many options out there. Why not go and buy the best the best option out there? And at roughly $3 per serving, you are not going to go broke with this. But it actually gets even juicier. Because if you go to Organifi, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, 
com slash beloved, you're going to save 20% on your purchase. And I wouldn't be recommending this product if I didn't use it myself. Heck, I wouldn't even have reached out to the company to ask them about a sponsorship if I wasn't so super thrilled about the product. So again, go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash beloved, save 20% on some of the best supplements and best protein products out there. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Barbara. I mean, for, for, for millennia, right, we've been looking to somebody else to have the answer for us, right, for us to find happiness or health or whatever, vitality. And, you know, at times in history, including now, people still think that there's a man in the clouds who's going to answer our prayers, right, or it's going to come from the, the new priests wearing white coats, the pharmacists in your family, the doctors, you know, like me, that we're going to have the answer. We're going to solve the problem of mortality or of happiness through antidepressants, or we're going to come up with some cure, the magic bullet that's going to fix the problem. And I think people are real, or, or you know, the, the, the third option is our politician. We get a new mm. president in there and they're going to change it. I have yeah. news for everybody. It has not worked. It will not work. We cannot put our futures in the hands of other people. It has to come from us. It has to come from conversations like this. And whenever you, you start to get that subtle hint that something doesn't smell right, sniff it out. Like go and explore and start asking questions. When people start telling you you're not allowed to ask questions, there's a problem there because there's a lot of unhappy people. You know, 60, 50, 60% of Americans take an antidepressant, an anxiolytic or something in their, in, their, in their lifetime. And it's probably even higher than that, right? I mean, who knows? And the, the problem with that is that we're treating a symptom of some greater societal ill. Our society is not serving us. So what do we do? We don't elect the new politician. We actually start reimagining what could society look like in which Nathan Riley, Stephanie Tellup, Barbara Stewart, Ben Stewart, all of our friends in Austin, all of our friends in California, where we all can kind of step out of that mindset, that paradigm, and start to just embody our own truth and what we know feels good. And what feels good is being able to hug. It's being able to go outside and be with all of my friends. It's being able to host big dinner parties where we're toasting wine and we're, you know, we're we're loving each other. We're we're caring for one another. Body, spirit, soul, mind, we're we're doing everything. And our society doesn't like we have not built a society that sustains us like that. And we know that, we feel that. And if we're gonna keep trying to look to these outside leaders or whatever, whatever they are to you, for the answer is like, I'm sorry, it's not gonna come. It has to come right here, and we need to create that world that we know is possible. You know, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible is, as the, the, the book of Charles, the, the title of um, one of Charles Eisenstein's books. It's, um, it's really up to us. Like, we really need to step back into our power. Yes, absolutely. And I think a thing I realized, you know, at that time when I called my friend, I was like, you know what? We can't, we have to stop waiting. We have to stop waiting for someone else to do this because it's never going to happen. Mm. And also I, I think I have a pretty beautiful, complete vision, you know, so I have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. have to start it. Yeah. yeah. So absolutely. We, we have a working document between me and you and a couple other people. And, you know, it's, it's a very rudimentary rough draft, but the, the other things that I would add to your story about how could, how can we better care for women in, 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 in the birth space is to also provide all of that stuff that comes 
before birth. It comes be between birth and death. All of that stuff in between is not just edutainment, right? You know, to, to get our rocks off. It's really an opportunity to really explore what real connection and, and what our hearts, what, what is what we know is possible in our hearts. It's really an opportunity to just get out there and try to do it. So here's some other things I would add in my ideal vision for a birth center. And I don't even want to use the word birth center because those are highly regulated by the federal government. And I'm just about up to here with the federal government. And that's not to say I, I want to carry around an AR-15 and, uh, you know, over my dead body, although some people are doing that and I totally support them. For me, it, it's just a matter of like, hey, I, I don't want to do that if it doesn't feel right. And if somebody's going to say, hey, you can't participate in society if you don't do that thing, then I have to create a new society. And so in addition to a birth center where we would have amber lights, we'd have salt lamps, we'd have people singing, angelic singing when a baby is coming into the world and we hold space for the process, everything down to the texture of the, of the walls, to the, the comfort of the bed, to the temperature of the water, like the whole thing with the open windows you described with birds chirping, it would be adjacent to a biodynamic farm where the, the food that's being fed to us, right, as we're going through these experiences and, and everything in between. We're going to do lifestyle medicine. We're going to open a whole hospital eventually. Every aspect is not from a profit motive. It's actually with the motivation of healing our tribe and our, and our societies. So, you know, everything's set up on a ge biogeometry platform, right? The, from the shape of the windows to the shape of the doors and the rooms to the positioning of the buildings, everything is an alignment for the sake of healing, not for the sake of saving money and maximizing profits for some CEO or big corporation. I don't need to ever be paid a dollar ever again if I had a community where we were all just mutually caring for one another. Kind of like the Burning Man community, really. It's it's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of a long shot because people are like, but that's just once a year. And it's like, yes, but when you're there, you realize that people are actually stepping into the person that they really want to be. It might be a man who wears lipstick and high heels for a week and just <laughs> lives his most fabulous life because where he goes back, wherever he goes back to is not going to be very accepting of that. But it goes beyond that. It's creating art for the sake of creating art. And then you burn it because of the impermanence of that beauty, the, the, the beautiful thing that somebody's created. And so on this, this property, I would like to have water charging. I'd like to have biogeometry. I'd like to have clean drinking water, clean air in the most healthy, fertile soil, a foot of it, a foot of topsoil where we can get the highest yields of the most nutritious produce and, and, and have the most nutritious protein sources grazing on that, on that grass. And, and this whole thing is possible and we're going to build it, Barbara, me and you. Yes, absolutely. I would add one thing and that is that I feel like what this whole place and with every building and every room and every little spot outside is basically exuberating is just mm. love love it's yeah. created with love and it is intended to love and mm. be loved and everything you're surrounded by is just love mm. Mm. so that's, that's what i see <laughs> it comes back to love it does come back to yeah love. it's always love just imagine every space you go in every exchange you have everything you eat everything you see it's just it's love right right yeah and i think that that's actually captured pretty well in the gift economies right of the world where if you give somebody a gift like uh the robin wall kimmerer uses the example of a knitted pair of socks in her book braiding sweetgrass when you go to jc penny and you buy a pair of wool socks they're great socks they're gonna last you a while they're well made they're a reasonable price. You give your money to the cashier. <laughs> she gives you a receipt and they, the transaction is over. It's done. 
the socks are mine, my socks. So you go home and you wear your socks. You're really never compelled to go back to that store and thank them or to pay anything forward because you participated in the commercial sort of entity that is JC Pennies, Pennies, right? And you've given the money, you've gotten your product and it's done. Well, on the other hand, what if I made you a pair of socks? Mm-hmm. It spent me, it took me months because I don't have any fucking idea how to knit. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, gray is not your favorite color. So we make it, we stripe it with your perfect, your, your perfect combination of pink, blue, and orange, whatever. <laughs> it sounds ugly, but, <laughs> but maybe that's your favorite. So I've, I've, I have hand dyed the yarn. I made this perfect pair of socks and I give it to you, Barbara. And I say, Barbara, thank you so much for being my friend. I want to give you this for Christmas or whatever. And you put those socks on and they are just as comfortable as the socks you bought at JCPenney. But now there is there is more than just an exchange of goods for money. There is actually an exchange of energy and information and love. Like love is the guiding principle there. I made those for you because I love you. And you accept the gift because you love me. And where do we go from there? We go any fucking place we want because now we have this thing that we've exchanged, love, embodied as a pair of socks that are ugly <laughs> and probably not made to the best you know, specifications, <laughs> one's bigger than the other, but that pair of socks means so much more than the pair of socks you bought off the shelf at JCPenney. And it's because it came from a place of love. And I, and I, just, I just really wonder what would a world look like if we were, instead of exchanging money for goods and if currency was instead of just how much dollars, US dollars or whatever you have in your bank account, what if it was the quality of an, an engagement you have with other people? How would our world look different? Of course it would look so different. And, and I share that vision with you. I do, my sister. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on mm-hmm. the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you. I love you and Ben. And I, I hope we can see each other in person and get our families together soon. Yes, we will. How can people find you, Barbara, if they wanted to reach out and say, I fucking loved your conversation with Nathan? It's so funny. You know, <laughs> probably just my email. I don't really have a website. I'm just like... sure. I'm always doing things in the flow. I started making art, right? I make um, macrame art. And it's yeah. so funny because when you were talking about those socks, that's really how I see my art. Like I, so far I've made it for friends and people that I know. So when I make it, I think of them and it's just labor of love. Yeah. I, and there's just so much in it and it's so wonderful. And I love doing it so much. And mm. yeah, I just, it's just word of mouth, everything. So I can give you my email address. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll put it in the show notes for anybody that wants to uh, that wants to reach out to you. Perfect, Barbara. Thank you. You're you're a real treasure. I'm so grateful to be in touch. The universe has conspired in the best way in bringing us together. So thank you for coming on and giving so much of your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Wow. Thank you, Barbara, for coming on the show. For those of you listening, remember nothing that we talk about on the show should be construed as medical advice. It is informational, educational. Having said that, take everything that you heard today and try to build something beautiful. Try to build something beautiful in the world because we all have the power to do this. It's right here, heart center. This is where our truth, this is where our power comes from. And if you can stand with what you've heard in this conversation and other conversations on the show, rotate your palms outward, pull your shoulders down and back and just hold space. Just let it sink in and go with your heart. If your heart is like, wow, this resonates with me, then you know that you're on the right path. There's no answers out there. The answers come from you, come from within. And if something resonates for you in this program or any of the other interviews that I do with my guests, I hope that you'll take that and run with it because we all need to be pursuing 
the greater good, you know, and we need to stop relying on the politicians and the corporations and the Bill Gates of the world to try to deliver us, you know, on, on their deliverance from suffering and pain. It's going to require us to do that as conscious human beings. So thank you for listening in, as always. If you want to find me in my practice, I do work with patients remotely and in person. You can go to BelovedHolistics.com. I also have a newsletter that I send out every week with a little video of things I'm doing for myself and my clients and my family to keep us all healthier and happier. If you want to find the show notes or make a donation, we are a 501c3. Any donation is tax deductible and there's tons of goodies waiting for anybody who makes a generous donation. That's all found at HolisticOBGYNPod.com. If you're a health coach, if you're a birth worker, if you're a check practitioner, a doctor, a naturopath, a doula, midwife, whoever and you want to have a consultant to be able to run patient labs, imaging, if you want somebody to help order you meds, etc., I will collaborate with you on your patients. That can also be found at BelovedHolistics.com. It's my collaborator program. Pretty easy to find. You can also reach out to me if you have any other questions or concerns or comments. And if you're liking what we're putting down on the Holistic OBGYN podcast, please go to iTunes. Leave us a review. It helps other people find us. It helps us rise in the rankings. These are important conversations. And if we want to change the world, we have to change the way that we view and, and care for women. So I'm signing off. My name is Nathan Riley. I'm the host of the show. Thank you for tuning in. And I will see you next time on the Holistic OBGYN podcast.